These were careless mistakes. They were avoidable mistakes, but they were unintentional. Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money in Washington, D.C. I'm David Kestenbaum. And in New York, I'm Laura Conaway. Today's Wednesday, January 21st, and on the show, we are going to talk about banks on the ropes again. First, our Planet Money indicator for today, it is 29%. Which is? That is the amount that David Crow of the National Association of Home Builders expects housing prices will fall this year. Which is a lot. Yeah, thanks to the Calculated Risk blog and the Las Vegas Review Journal for that. Uh, The drop, that is, you know, it's not like last year was good either. According to the S&P Case-Shiller Index, from 2006 to 2008, somewhere in there, it dropped 25%. So it's just just another big drop uh, he sees coming. What a lousy time to be holding a house. I I mean, I guess it's a great time to buy, and maybe even in a place like Washington, D.C., At the top of the show, that was Tim Geithner up there. He's been hanging out at the New York Federal Reserve, and now he's President Barack Obama's pick for Treasury Secretary. And yeah, and I guess he's looking for a house here, or if he doesn't already have one. Um, he uh, he spent the day on Capitol Hill taking questions from senators and uh, Planet Money. So you didn't have to watch it. We had Dan Costello do it for you. That's right. Hey, Dan. How are you? I hear that that Geithner had a couple of sticky issues coming in. He had a few. Uh, It came out last week that he didn't pay all of his taxes going back to 2001, which is a bit difficult for someone who's going to oversee the IRS. Uh, less seriously, it came, also came out at the same time that he that his nanny uh, during 2004 and 2005 didn't have her immigration papers during the entire time that he, she worked for him. So did they beat up on him today, the senators? I mean, they did every once in a while, but overall it was kind of pro forma and dull, really. Uh, there were a few highlights. Uh, his toughest critic was probably Republican Senator Jim Bunning of Kentucky. Uh, Bunning said that even before this tax issue came out, he had some problems with him. Mr. Geithner has been involved in just about every flawed bailout action of the previous administration. He was the front-line regulator in New York when all the innovations that recently have brought our markets to their knees became widespread. He went along with the flawed monetary policy decisions of Alan Greenspan and Ben Bernanke, He failed to cite China for manipulation of its currency, and he stretched the law beyond recognition to bail out Bear Stearns. Dan, you feel like he read that as as slowly as possible. I mean, (laughs) unbelievable, right? (laughs) To to, to draw it out as long as possible. Articulated every single syllable. It sort of felt like that when I was watching it, too. (laughs) Was there anybody else rough on him? I mean, how do things look for Geithner now? I mean, a few people got in a jab here and there. At one point, uh, Senator uh, Wyden from Oregon uh, essentially got him to say that that the Federal Reserve and the Bush administration didn't do an overall great job overseeing financial institutions. But pretty much, he's going to sail through. Uh, Overall, people think he's really good for the job. Here's Max Baucus, the uh, Finance Committee chairman, giving a pretty ringing endorsement. The Secretary's responsibilities are formidable. I have confidence that Mr. Geithner is up to the job. I have confidence that he will address the important obligations that he will inherit with honesty and honor. And I have confidence that with the help of his unselfish performance, America will overcome these troubled times and emerge with renewed strength. So, Dan, when did they actually vote on this? 
Well, I mean, it's a bit up in the air. The, the committee is expected to vote tomorrow, Thursday, and uh, Senator Reid, who is the majority leader, is expected to bring it for a full vote in the Senate next week. All right, Dan, thanks, thanks for watching that for us. I appreciate it. You're welcome. If Geithner is eventually confirmed, one of the first issues he's going to have to deal with is struggling banks. Right, because they are still struggling. Even after that first round, uh, first bailout round, you know, bank stocks are still falling and the banks are still asking for help. Take Citigroup. They got $45 billion from the Troubled Asset Relief Program back in the fall. And just last week, they got the government to insure hundreds of billions more of its assets. Same with Bank of America. They got $25 billion back in October, and there's now another $20 billion on the way. And, uh, you know, people are talking about this idea of zombie banks, banks that basically if they had to cash out and try and return all the money to everybody, if they could sell the toxic things they had, they might not have enough to give back to everybody who who deposited with them. So, you know, we wanted to know what what is going on with these banks. We threw all that money at the problem. Why didn't it fix things? So we put these questions to two people, one from the banking side, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, I had a chat with our friend Simon Johnson. He is the former chief economist at the International Monetary Fund. He's also at MIT and the Peterson Institute. And I asked him why all that money was not enough. Uh, It just wasn't enough uh, to deal with the problems. The banks have got more losses. Uh, They've recognized and announced even more of these losses in the past week. That's why we have a a new feeling of of crisis right now, as well as the global part of this. So the UK banks are in terrible shape. Shouldn't the Treasury – I mean, when the Treasury gave them this money, right, I assume the banks shared their books with them. So the Treasury looked and said, oh, you have $20 billion worth of uh, toxic assets, mortgage-backed securities. So we'll give you $20 billion and that will free up the money you need to continue operating safely. Um, no, I don't think they did share their books. I think there was you know, something close to chaos in, in the fall. If you remember, when, when Paulson put the money in uh, initially in mid-October, it was right after other members of the G7 and other members of uh, other uh, European countries did a bank recapitalization on a Sunday. Um, Treasury and the Fed rushed through a recap um, or symbolic recap, I guess we'd say in retrospect, for the U.S. bank system on, on the Monday. So it was really done at very short notice. Uh, and there may be some information sharing was done later. But remember, uh, also, these banks uh, lost control of their risk management processes totally. So I, I don't think even the executives running the banks knew what was going on. In fact, Bank of America said that um, last week about their purchase of Merrill. We had no idea there were these kinds of losses. So the, 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 um, the amount of, of disinformation or uninformation, if that's a word, uh, within these banks is, 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 is huge and pervasive. What was wrong about that? Are the losses larger than we thought? Is it that foreclosures have continued at an increasing paces so that the mortgage-backed securities they had are worth even less than they thought? Or is it just they weren't clear exactly what was on their books or what? what? Well, it's all of the above, obviously. I think that the main problem is that the, the real economy has just uh, nosedived much more than anticipated. And of course, uh, when that happens, all the existing problems around foreclosures and so on, all these problematic structures just become even more toxic. Can we walk through what might be possible solutions at this point? One that always comes up is uh, why don't we just uh, deal with the foreclosures? Could you just bail everybody out? Could you bail out all the homeowners or would that be an insanely large amount of money? Um, because then anyone holding a mortgage-backed security would be fine, right? Potentially, although the the evidence we have, which is limited, says that um, about 40% of restructured loans go into default a year later, right? So I don't think you're offering to buy people's houses and give them to them for free. You're offering to refinance the mortgages at a, at a lower interest rate. Problem is, 
many people or a significant number of people uh, can't afford the mortgage even at that lower interest rate. So, you know, it doesn't end with a, with a massive housing refinance package. Uh, the Fed could, it's true, offer everyone a loan at 2% or 1% or 0%. That doesn't seem like a very good idea, and that would certainly lead to uh, runaway inflation, which is not well, not a good idea in any context. So, okay, we've talked about one option, going right to the homeowners. Second option, back where we started sort of dealing with the banks, right? Uh, and one variation there would be to just, um, you know, do more capital injection, buy more uh, stock in the banks. What do you think about that option? Well, I think that's part of the solution. The problem is if you, if you only do that, do you have to worry about you know, how much more are you going to be able to have to provide down, down the road? And why can't, we get an, why can't we get an answer to that? Why can't we say, we'll give you the money, but we're going to look at your books and see exactly what you have? Um, well, the books are complicated. Even the banks themselves, uh, unfortunately, don't seem to know uh, their you know, net positions, their exact uh, risk exposures. Um, it's, um, and it also depends on the macroeconomy. So how bad is it going to be? How long is this recession going to be? How global is it going to be? Um, so it, I think it's an, it really is an unknowable number. Uh, what about just letting the banks fail? Well, uh, we, that's a movie we, we saw, or at least we saw the trailer for that in mid-September. <laughs> With Lehman Brothers? Lehman and then AIG and the, and the way it spread globally and the you know, near breakdown of the payment system. I, I think you could try it. Um, it didn't uh, feel really good at the end of September, uh, early October, when it was done. It led to incredibly dangerous situations like Iceland's banks defaulting in a spectacular fashion. Um, I, I, I think that particular one, while it may be appealing, is, is, is off the table. What's wrong with the government taking over the bank then? I mean, if the banks, uh, if we're getting close to doing that anyway with the amount of money we're giving them, why not? This is, I mean, you worked for the IMF, right? This happens in countries, right? The government takes over the bank. It takes the bad stuff. It auctions that off. It takes charge of the good stuff. It owns the bank for a while. And then when things are back to normal, it sells it, right? Isn't that the standard way for dealing with failed banks? Yes, I think you you just you just um, described the standard, if you like, cookie cutter, generic approach, uh, and this is what the IMF uh, would suggest to you if you were in this kind of situation and you were, you know, a relatively small country. In the U.S., um, we we really hate the idea of nationalization. That's one. Secondly, the government is not particularly good at running things. We don't have a big uh, professional um, European type bureaucracy that runs enterprises. We just don't. The federal government is a few guys with a fair amount of money uh, backing them. It's a relatively small government. So. David, what does Simon Johnson suggest doing? He suggests, in part, going back to Plan A, which is what Henry Paulson initially announced, which was buying up the toxic stuff that's sitting at the banks. Uh, And then he figures you're actually going to have to go and do more uh, recapitalization of the banks, buy more stock or something like that. So A plus B. Yeah, (laughs) right. A plus B, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I wanted to know how much that would cost, and that, that was my last question. I said, how much do you think it will cost to fix the banks this way? Well, I think if you if you step in now and do something fairly dramatic, we're talking about a trillion dollars, perhaps uh, $1.5 trillion. That would be sufficient. Um, that's my guess, because I don't know exactly what's in these banks' balance sheets either. Well, David, we wanted to get the bank's perspective on all this, of course, so I grabbed this guy, Scott Talbot. Scott represents the Financial Services Roundtable in Washington, D.C., basically a bank lobbyist. And back in September, when people first started talking about how to bail out Wall Street, basically, Scott sounded pretty cautious about government intervention. He had some very particular opinions about um, what would be a good idea and what would represent too much government interference. And now, when I talk to Scott, he really sounds like the door is just wide open, whether it's buying up mortgage-backed securities, 
you know, those toxic assets that are giving the banks such a headache or whether it's government buying shares in banks, plan A, plan B, Scott is open to talking about it. We, the Financial Services Roundtable, are supportive of any option that will continue to help the financial services industry and the U.S. economy, and that could include uh, purchasing toxic assets. It could include the government providing insurance against future losses, and it could provide, could include setting up a bank, a government bank, to purchase these bad assets from the institutions directly and get them off of those institutions' balance sheets. Uh, we are in favor of, if you remember, housing is what brought us into this mess, and housing is what will get us out of it. We are in favor of the government using some of the uh, remaining TARP funds. Congress just approved the second $350 billion using the remaining TARP funds to uh, help at-risk homeowners and prevent rising delinquencies from becoming foreclosures and help keeping Americans in their homes. So we're in favor of any of those options or a combination thereof to help restore the economy and restore the housing market. Scott, if I were to, to put sort of the corner cafe translation on what you just said, I think it would be something like, we the banks are in trouble and we will take anything we can get. Yeah, this is a time for creativity in, in finance, and the Treasury Department uh, understands that better than anybody. What are the banks willing to trade in order to get more help from the government politically? I think we've already seen a number of those trades, uh, tougher restrictions on executive comp, tougher reporting restrictions. Uh, we've seen limitations or requirements for specific proposals relating to uh, mortgages uh, and helping Americans work out. Um, I mean, the financial institutions are committed uh, to doing whatever it takes uh, to help the, restore the economy and restore the health of the system. So you are willing to trade a lot? Sure. Sure. We understand that, that, that the taxpayer investment has to be protected. Um, that's why the, the government stock injections or the government purchase of company stock makes sense uh, to us. It helps protect the taxpayer. Uh, and and we are, it is in our self-interest. If we are uh, helped and we, the institutions, recover, then that means the economy is recovering, uh, and that's good for everybody. How about the word you keep sort of hearing and reading occasionally, especially on blogs, nationalization? Uh, there is, um, uh, we haven't quite gotten to that uh, bridge yet where the nationalization would be where the government owns uh, 100% of the institution. Uh, I don't think that uh, we will need to get to a situation of nationalization uh, of the financial industry yet. Uh, uh, but if that's where we have to go, uh, then it would hope it will only be temporary. I mean, that sounds like a little bit of the nuclear option for you guys. Yeah, that would be the end of the, that would be the, end of the bridge too far in a world of bridges too far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the last bridge you'd cross in the, in the bridge too far. David, when a bank lobbyist can't take nationalization off the table, you know they done hit the skids big time. Wow, he sounds so different than when we talked to him back in uh, whatever that was, September, October. Yeah, we want this and we want that, and I'm looking at the latest draft of the bill, and I like line A but not line B. A lot less picky now. Yeah, a little less picky. Yeah. I think that's a wrap for Planet Money. All right. We, uh, we've been using your indicators, so please keep sending them. We love them when you send them to us. We post them on the Tuesday and Thursday when we're not podcasting at npr.org slash money. We'll be back on Friday. I'm Laura Conaway. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>